Have you ever wondered if you could make a difference? This podcast brings you inspirational people who are making a tremendous difference. We will also be talking to experts in the field of creating the mindset you need so that nothing holds you back from making your vision a reality right now. Welcome to the Game Changers Podcast. And now here's your host, Michelle Dutro. Welcome everybody to this week's Game Changer Podcast. I am thrilled and honored to bring to you today Dr. Richard Miller, who I consider not only a fantastic mentor to me and several people that I know and am very close to, but actually a friend and somebody that I know that I could reach out to at any time who would give me the most solid advice that is so well-grounded of truly almost anybody that I know. That being said, he is a clinical psychologist. He is the founding member and past president of the Institute for Spirituality and Psychology. He is the co-founder of the International Association of Yoga Therapists. And the way I met Richard is he is also the founder of iRest, the Integrative Restor- Restoration Institute, which I stumble every time I say this with him, which I encourage everybody to go to. It is at, uh, the website can be found at www.irest.us. There you will find free Yoga Nidra downloads. You will find a plethora of research information, as well as all upcoming trainings that they have going on all across the United States that really are worth your time in looking into. Outside of that, he has published dozens of articles and at least nine books, one of which I'm going to reference here today in our conversation, which is the IREST program for healing PTSD. In this book, you will find a number of not only trainings, but the most solid information regarding PTSD that I think is actually on the market today. Outside of this, which we're going to do a deeper dive into, what I want to share with you is what Richard Miller really is to me personally that you won't find on Wikipedia or on Google or anywhere else for that matter. You know, there are people who walk the talk, and then there are people who, quite frankly, are the talk. And that is Richard Miller. He is the most unflappable individual I have ever run across. And let me tell you, I've, I've had my time of trying to flap him, and that didn't work. We have been together at a level one and level two training that he held. I was also a student of his at a three-day silent retreat. I can assure you I was not the star of that class, and I'm sure he would attest to the fact that I was not the star of a silent retreat. And further, a six-day The Ease of Being meditation retreat out in Montana. And here's the unflappable part. I actually interviewed him for the first time there. It was a video recording for my website. And it went south fast. The whole thing fell apart. The microphones didn't work. I didn't know if we were filming. A dear friend of mine, Michelle, was behind the scenes in complete chaos. And through this whole thing, he sat next to me without flinching one single bit. He truly defines what I would consider what is the definition of peace, which is no matter what your outer world or chaos may have going on, it's maintaining your inner peace at all times. He embodies that. He is the talk, not just walking the talk. And like I said, this is why I'm absolutely honored to bring Richard to this week's episode. So outside of all that, Richard, is there anything that I left out that people should know about you? You're very sweet. I I can't think of anything, a human being just trying to make my way in the world. 
And let's add incredibly humble to the list because that is yet another attribute that he absolutely embodies. So with that, we are going to get underway. But before we do, this week's episode of Game Changers is Richard is what I consider a true game changer as it relates to the treatment of PTSD. And while most people out there, I think, hear PTSD and they think of a returning veteran coming back from a tour or two in uh, Iraq or Afghanistan. And while that's true, it's actually larger and much more far reaching than that. And what he's doing across all lines in this area of work is really what I would consider second to none. So what I want to do to kick things off so that we're all starting with the same foundation understanding really of PTSD and what this is, just in case you happen to be somebody who's listening, who may think, oh, this show isn't really for me because this is military based, I I would have you think again and just listen with a different set of ears and see if maybe any one of these things resonate with you. What I'm going to do now is read uh, just a small portion of the foreword from the book, The IRIS Program for Healing PTSD, as written by Audrey, say it it for me the right way, Richard. Schumacher. Schumacher, Audrey Schumacher. Schumacher. And Eric Schumacher. Uh, Audrey is an RN uh, yoga instructor herself, and Eric is MD, PhD, retired lieutenant general of the U.S. Army, and was actually the U.S. Army Surgeon General. So uh, fantastic in their own right, certainly, who have written this forward. This is what I want you to sit with here at the beginning of this show so that you can see if what we're about to talk about for the next half hour may actually, in fact, pertain to you. Few challenges to the mind, body, and spirit cause as much widespread suffering and, if untreated, impact the full potential of a human being than that of post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. PTSD is a predictable outcome of natural disasters such as hurricanes, floods, and tornadoes, as well as man-made calamities, including violent crimes, war, and terrorist attacks, such as the bombings at Oklahoma City, the Boston Marathon, and the 9-11 attacks. It has been a major hurdle in the restoration of service members from all generations and eras in our nation's history. In this insightful book, born of direct personal experience with his own self-care and private practice, and from helping to restore wounded, ill, and injured soldiers and other service members at military and Veterans Administration medical facilities, Richard Miller has provided a classic textbook, a blueprint really, for teaching people who have experienced trauma not only how to recover, but how to thrive. And this I wanted to start off with as the foundation because it's not just about getting by or not just getting past the idea of wanting to kill oneself or surviving. It really is about thriving. And next week's show, I have William Rodriguez on the show who also is one of Richard Miller's students who is absolutely a shining example of what it is to have had PTSD and putting these skills to work practically that has a life that is thriving beyond measure and flourishing for that matter. So as we start this, Richard, where I really wanted to start with is one area that people struggle with is what is their purpose and meaning for life? What is it that they're that they're doing that their calling really should be? And some people feel that they're born with knowing and other people through their journey and meandering through life trip across or grow rather into what their purpose is. Since this is really the backbone and foundation of the great work you're doing, I'm curious, have you always known this is what your purpose is, or did life kind of take you through some twists and turns which have gotten you where you are today? 
Uh, thank you, Michelle. You know, before I begin, there was one comment that you made that I would love to just put out to your audience, which is what I've come to realize through the media and all the attention on veterans experiencing PTSD. The word veteran in the United States, at least, and but also in Canada and other places, has become synonymous with the word PTSD. I think we want to be very helpful to veterans to separate that out. There are veterans who have PTSD, but most veterans do not have PTSD. And I'd just like to break apart that. So when we really relate to someone as a veteran, we're really relating them to as a human being who've had unique experiences. But, but let's not conflate the word veteran with PTSD. So I just wanted to put that out. So your, your question around, have I always known this? I would say paradoxically, yes and no. No in the sense that I grew into it through, as you would say, twists and turns and struggles to come to my own understanding. But once I really fell into it, I realized that it had been with me all my life waiting for me to recognize it. But that recognition, I realized for me, took, oh, about three decades to really understand that driving force that that has awakened in me now and is really on full throttle. And one story that you tell that I love, that I would love for you just to spend a few moments, if you will, recanting, because I do think that there's decisions that we can make that one day are a pivoting point, a fork in the road on a trajectory for where we're headed. And I know for you, there was a yoga class many decades ago that you attended that really shifted your thinking and sort of started you on that path. Would you, it's, and it was in San Francisco, wasn't it? It, it was, it's true. I, I was new to San Francisco. I was looking to meet people. Somehow I made my way into a yoga class to find perhaps a group of people that were similar thinking. Truthfully, it's so many decades ago, I can't remember why I took it. But that said, at the end of the first class, the teacher led us through a meditative exercise, and it truly transformed my life. I went home that evening feeling totally at peace, felt no sense of conflict, and I felt a sense of myself in harmony, I would say, with the entire universe. And that night, a vow, an intention rose within me very spontaneously that I wanted to really understand what had just happened and how could I have this as my ongoing experience because it, it slowly faded over a number of days but left a deep impression in me of this is what I was really searching for, a feeling of being at home, a sense of equanimity, peace, and that vow just came up in me to really dive into this. Little did I know then that I would be spending the rest of my life in this path, but here I am and I'm glad I took that yoga class. Agreed, as do all the rest of us uh, out here, believe me, very appreciative of that yoga class. You said something in that uh, taking a vow and things that come up for us that we know have significant meaning, and that really it's been the next few decades of your continual work, which is why it's a practice. We're never really done. No. In this practice for you, what are a couple of daily rituals that are very important for you to do in order to stay grounded and in practicing this ease of being, if you will, and considering it is an ongoing practice? What are a couple of things that matter the most to you that you make sure you do every day? Sure. 
I think there are two types of ease of being. One that we work on and develop, and another that I would say is our birthright. It's innate within us, and the practices that I teach that I've engaged help draw to the surface. So then it's not something we're no longer cultivating. It's a recognition of something that's always within us. That said, rituals that are important to me, almost every morning I set aside a time when the phone's off, computer's off, where I'm just sitting quietly in a kind of a contemplative disposition, feeling a deep that deep resonance of harmony, peace, equanimity, really nourishing it, watering it, fertilizing it, you might say, and then taking it with me into my daily life. And then all through my day, there are literally hundreds of moments where I'm stopping and just touching that sense of ease of being, whether I'm in a calm moment or it's a difficult moment I'm navigating, so that I can feel it as a touchstone that's with me throughout my day. And it's grown so strong now that I would say it's constantly soliciting me, constantly calling my attention to it rather than something that I'm needing to remember, which is the way it started many decades ago. And I'll tell you, I, I mean this. I, I hope everybody out there has at some point and chance, well, you all have the opportunity. I hope you take the opportunity to attend one of Richard's retreats, if not to interact with him and have conversation with him, but in, in observation, he is, I, I kid you not, when I say unflappable and you know, I can get to people, you can't do it with him. He really is exactly as he is saying it's it's how he shows up every minute of the day and it's awe-inspiring honestly it really is awe-inspiring and it's everything that you just said and it really is decades of work but then it does it becomes you it calls to you and i love the way that you just said that and you are you're a you're a walking embodiment of that if anybody's out there right now listening to this saying well, gosh, I'd, you know, I'd like to do all these things, or I'd like to put this into practice, or I'd like to fill in the blank, but you know what? I'm just not strong enough. I'm just not good enough. I just don't have enough of whatever it is. I know a key struggle that a lot of people have is that around self-doubt, whether that is born from PTSD from any past experience or where that comes from is not really as relevant as in working with somebody who has extreme self-doubt that they just can't seem to get past themselves to to take that first step into, into their own healing, what would you say to them? I would say a couple of things. Doubt can, in a way, either bind us and be felt as an obstacle that we fall into and become victims of, but it can also be a gateway where we're doubting something, but it's pointing to something that we're yearning for. And what I like to do when I first work with someone, it doesn't matter who they are, what their background is, where they come from, or how much doubt is, is present, is I like to take them through a very simple exercise where I introduce them to our innate sense of being that we all share in common, and to really help them see that there's something here that's easily recognized, that's familiar, that's been with them all their life, that they may have ignored, and that as they feel and touch it and experience it, which is quite easy, they begin to realize that there is something in them that is equanimous, peaceful, 
familiar, helps them feel connected to themselves and connected to life, and begins to, I would say, undermine the doubt that they begin to feel that it's possible. And once we have that kind of sense, we might start it off as hope, but it eventually becomes faith turning in us, then people start to quicken on their way. And I think this is where it's helpful to have a mentor, helpful to have guidance, so that if we tend to fall into that kind of doubt or despair at times, the mentoring relationship can really help show us the simplicity of what we may be missing in that moment and help us get back on track and stay on track. Agreed. I, I could not agree more. And so much of this show is based on that, on mentorship and people who are game changers. I think some people assume that folks like you, who truly are game changers, don't have mentors themselves. And that's not true, right? I know because we've had these conversations before that you yourself along the way, along your journey, have had phenomenal mentors. I've had phenomenal mentors and I take weekly walks with a friend of mine and other people so that we're continually checking in with one another. Life's a challenge and we may or I may feel a sense of ongoing equanimity, but that doesn't mean I want, don't want to continue checking in and staying on track and seeing if there are any pitfalls I may be falling into. So we're all students along the way. I may be a little further along or be able to point out something to someone that they may not be yet recognizing. But to me, we all need to be a light unto ourselves eventually. And if it's a true teaching, if it's a true mentor, then we're not binding the student to us. We're setting them free into their own knowing so that they become empowered through the relationship. So if someone was listening to this part of the conversation right now and they're thinking, well, you know, I, I have my network of friends, I have my job, I have my neighbors, I wouldn't even know where to go to find somebody who one would consider a true mentor. Clearly not the neighborhood bartender, although for some people, maybe they think it is. How could one go about setting out outside of their, like I said, maybe their network of friends, but to truly find somebody who would be considered a viable mentor for them? I can speak for the organization that I've put together. I've trained over 2,000 teachers. We have 15 seasoned supervisor mentors that I have on my staff that people can connect to. I think it's finding a person that you interview, you sit with, you come to a kind of an internal gut feeling that this just feels like a good, healthy, right relationship. And then you begin to see by entering into a relationship, a teaching relationship, you feel yourself freer every day or over a time for being in that relationship. So we work hard as an organization. I work hard to train people to find people who can really act in the mentoring role and then help pair people up in that role. There are many other organizations like mine that are doing the same thing. Purple Star Veterans and Families is another one. They're trying to set up mentoring relationships so people who come through their organization, for instance, can hook up with a mentor who is like-minded with them. It can take a little bit of time when I introduce someone to a mentor. I try to give them two or three names, to ask them to interview each person, find one that feels right, and then begin to work with them. 
And this is through the IREST website, is that correct? Is so that the first step our connection? IREST website and through our workshops, trainings, different offerings that we have for the public. Perfect. And this will be in show notes. So if you are driving and listening to this and don't have pen and paper handy, never fear. This, like I said, all of this information will be in show notes as well as the link to IRS to Richard's website as well. So Richard, stepping back to a 40,000 foot view here, when all of this comes to a close, how would you like to be known? What game will it be that you have significantly changed? Well, I think of Two thing, I can't remember whether it was Wordsworth or some English poet on his gravestone. It says, I left little dust. In other words, it's not about ego and fame. It's really about the work that I'm offering that is helping people in their lives, transferring their lives. I hope I'll leave a legacy of teachers that continue the work, trainings, this IREST methodology, you might say, the IREST program that I've developed. You know, we're seeing it in now in many, many VA centers across the United States, Canada, England, Australia, homeless shelters, hospitals, also recreation centers, that really there is a legacy of teachings here that people can take advantage of years after I'm long gone and long forgotten that the teachings will remain. It's been a privilege in a way to be an heir to these teachings. I didn't develop them. They they would say they got passed down to me from people who I'm standing on their shoulders. People in turn will be standing on my shoulders and people in turn will be standing on their shoulders. So hopefully what we're doing is we're keeping these precious teachings alive of well-being, how to understand this deep equanimity within ourselves, be able to bring it into every circumstance and situation. I'm just passing on, paying forward in a way, what's been paid forward to me. When I started this work, I felt very lost, confused, confounded. I had a lot of fear and anxiety in my life. I didn't know really how to do relationship well. I felt I wasn't in right relationship with myself or the world. That's all past history now. I had extraordinary mentors who helped me discover and this understanding and embody it in my life. So I really do feel that debt that I'm passing on, paying forward. And I hope those that I leave behind me will continue to pay it forward. And the ones they teach, they'll pay it forward. And we have an infinite progression here of paying it forward. Exactly. So if somebody is listening and they're inspired right now through this conversation of saying, I feel like maybe I'm starting out where Richard was saying he was back in the day, but yet I know I feel a calling that I would like to make a difference. I would like to contribute in a positive way, and I would like to pay it forward. If you were to give that person, almost your much younger self, a single bit of advice to say, look, wherever you are, wherever you're struggling, and if you feel a yearning to make a difference, you know what? Hang on to this thought. What would that single piece of advice be to that person for where they are right now? The faith that I can do it. As I struggled, I came to the understanding that if I can't do it, then nobody can. I had very difficult depression, deep fears, but this longing, this desire in me to heal just became the overpowering force. And there came a moment where I realized if I can do it, anyone can. And then there came this understanding that I did it. And knowing that, I know now that anybody can. So to 
not have so much hope as faith. Hope is based on a fear that things might not turn out the way we'd like them to. Faith is a stronger force, actually, that things are going to turn out for the best. So it's developing a a deep faith that these kinds of teachings that I'm involved with, passing on as others are, can really help a person find that deep sense of healing, equanimity, peace, both at a psychological level and it's also possible at a physical level, depending on what one's struggling with. But yeah, that that deep faith that I can do it and there are people in front of me who are going to give me their hand and help me come forward. There's a lot of support in the world when we open to um, being willing to look for it, take it, accept it, and then drop into these understandings. Well, I'd also like to offer one more thing, which is it's not hard. It may be difficult in the sense that we what we have to overcome, but the simplicity of the understandings that we're being taught are so simple, they're easily dismissed. But when we really realize the beauty in the simplicity, we realize, my gosh, I can do this. I can do this every day of my life. And it can inspire us to move forward through through the most difficult of circumstances. And and I hope for those people listening that you as well listen to next week's show because William, who I referenced before, speaks very specifically to the mentorship that he's received from Richard Miller and from uh, this program. That is is an exact, uh, like I said, it's an example of everything that Richard's speaking to right now of finding that person that will extend their hand and help you along. You're never on this journey alone. So I appreciate everything that you just said. That being said, I want to take this a step further because like you started coming full circle that PTSD often is just associated with the military or vice versa that because you're a veteran, you have PTSD and there's absolutely not a link between the two. But again, to go back and say, this is much more far reaching than just the military. Last week, Richard, when you and I connected, you had talked about sort of a new program, a new group of people, if you will, that you're reaching out to with IRIST and with this program that again, isn't military based, but is very unique and absolutely worthy of needing this type of help. Could you tell us what your newest endeavor is and and, uh, what it is that you're doing? Sure. Years ago, when I was engaged early on in, in these teachings, I was teaching principally to what I call the choir, people who would come because they saw a flyer or it just resonated with them. Over the years, the desire grew in me to see how I could bring these to any group, anywhere, not just people who had the, I don't know, the interest in it, we might say. So the first real group I got involved with was a homeless uh, group near where I live. We brought these teachings to them and had extraordinary experiences helping them get back on track with their lives and overcome the trauma and the difficulties psychologically or physically they were experiencing through their homelessness. Then the military approached me and I got involved with Walter Reed Army Medical Center and and subsequent research and different VA centers. So now we're in over 42 VA centers around the United States and worldwide places. The next group that really got my attention was children. So we started working with preschoolers, Head Start, looking at kids who 
hadn't learned these kinds of skills of self-esteem, how to relate to their emotions, how to have right relationship with their thoughts, and really teaching life skills that they could take uh, from, we might say, their disadvantaged home life or disadvantaged educational life and really up the ante so they could really become stellar human beings. Now I'm involved with people, basically at this point, women who've been rescued from human trafficking. It's a huge industry I've come to understand around the world. And we're looking at coming into sites both in the United States, but also I've translated my protocol and program into Nepali and in, into Hindi. So we're coming now into Nepal, working with women who've been rescued from human trafficking. We're also working with survivors of the recent earthquakes and children who had their schools and their homes destroyed so we can again help them work through the trauma, the difficulties that they may have experienced psychologically and help them find that ground underneath them again and move forward. And we're looking at sites both in Nepal and throughout India where there are these homes where people who've been rescued are living. Uh, they've, they've gone through terrible, terrible ordeals or women who say have been thrown out or left brothels because they have HIV or they're too old. They're living in homes now, and so we want to come in and help them develop some of these skills, again, that can help them heal through their trauma. So I, I find uh, I'm getting involved with a number of different populations, people who are cancer survivors or going through cancer treatment who are experiencing trauma from their illness, their life-threatening illness. People, we've done studies with people experiencing multiple sclerosis to help them come into a better relationship with what's going on with them as they move through life. So I've found a number of populations and different issues that our IRES program has been very successful when we do research and then we can really bring these teachings to these different uh, groups and to the kinds of issues that people are experiencing from post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury, depression, chronic illness, and the last group that we're starting to really work with, actually two, one is chronic pain, and the other is sleep-related issues. We're seeing that both in people suffering trauma, but also as we as baby boomers say age, chronic pain and sleep become two of the main issues we're experiencing. So I'm involved with a medical doctor writing a book both on sleep hygiene and the different medical interventions that can help a person resolve sleep-related issues. But we're also looking at eye rest as a non-pharmacological intervention that's very powerful that people can help to use to help get them a good night's sleep or to help them if they have sleep awakenings or different uh, sleep-related issues. Same thing going on with chronic pain. We're doing research both in this area of sleep and in the area of chronic pain to show how people who have chronic pain can learn how better to live with it or in some instances uh, where the pain actually goes away, trying to give them the skills with which to meet these challenging issues and circumstances that they find themselves in. So I would say we're like from age, uh, actually we have, I rest in prenatal clinics and fertility clinics, so we're pre-birth to death because we've also been teaching I rest in hospice situations with people in the final stages of life. So it's actually from before birth to 
the dying process that we've found these teachings of IRS can be very instrumental and helpful with people. So as I said, to wrap this great conversation up, if you feel this is speaking to you, and this is something that you want to learn more about to start your own practice in whatever it may be that is going on in your world, I cannot possibly more highly encourage you to check out this website. If this is something you feel called to in order to be a teacher, to pay this forward, to bring this to your community, neighborhood, or even to one other person, as well, the same website, www.irest.us, is your first stop. Uh, like I said, whether this is for you personally or something that you feel called to help teach and bring this uh, out into the world, I encourage you to jump on that website and you will learn a whole lot more about how to get involved and how to be part of this. You know, you, you, if I can say just a couple of things, uh, on the website there are MP3 downloads that people can access for free so they can see what the program's really about in little pieces or through the books that I've written. But you know, there are a couple of touching stories that to me sum up the power of this. I recently was at a VA center with some vets who were experiencing traumatic brain injury and PTSD and depression and other things. And I gave them a very short 20-minute eye rest, and I, I remember I was asking for reflections. One of the vets turned to me and said something I've heard many times before, and it always uh, brings a choke to my heart and a, my hair stands up on my neck and my arms. He said, I feel like I just came home. And it reminded me also of a story of a woman I met when I was at a conference one time. She, when she learned what I was doing, she started crying, and I asked her what her tears were about, and she said, I want you to know that my son came back from war. I felt like I had lost my son. He was over at my house one time, and I said, would you be willing to get on the floor and listen to this CD with me? And he said he wouldn't. So we sat down, we listened to your CD, and when it was over and he stood up, I felt like I had gotten my son back from the war. So we find that these teachings can quickly help a person reestablish connection with themselves, give that ground of homecoming in many different ways. This is simple. It's available to everybody. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, your background, your orientation from spiritual to religion to atheism. It's a beautiful program that is very secular in nature and can help people with all sorts of issues. I could not possibly agree more. And these stories are endless. In my coaching practice, I refer to your principles truly daily, and the response is the exact same. So again, jump on that website, look at the testimonials, look at the resources that are available. And if you feel lost in any way in life and are looking for a first step to try to figure it out, I cannot possibly more highly recommend this website. Again, it'll be in show notes. So if you don't have pen and paper, that's okay. In closing, I have one last question for you, Richard mm -hmm. Miller. I was joking when we were uh, prepping for this that I would try to stump him, but uh, it's absolutely impossible. It just can't. It just can't be done. So this is not this is not some uh, trick question. It's actually the <laughs> question I close every show with, and that is: in your journey up until this point in life, if you had to muster everything up, kind of throw it in a blender, and step away with one thing and say, out of everything I know, all of my experiences through this 
part of the walk in my life, one thing I absolutely know to be true is, what is that you, that you most believe, or one thing that you really believe that has gotten you to where you are today? I would say it would have to be love, that what we find ultimately is self-love that then we bring out to the world. These teachings, when we really dive in, we meet ourselves. we fall in love in all aspects with ourselves and the people around us because we realize that fundamentally everyone we see, everything we see is an expression of life from which we come from. And so in a very simple, interesting way, we really see everyone as ourself. Everything is an expression of ourself. And then everything becomes based on love because we really do want to do unto others as we do unto ourself. And what we're doing unto ourself is loving, kindness, compassion, and equanimity. And so that's what we want to bring to everyone we see. So simplistically, I would say, ultimately, it comes down to recognizing love both within ourself, healing all the different ways that's been broken within us, or we've felt betrayed and healing those so that we can come to others with that loving kindness, compassion that we meet ourselves with. So, love. Well, I can't possibly imagine ending this show or any, for that matter, on a better note. So, thank you so much for your time and truly your energy and for how you show up, not just for me in this program, but for everybody whose path you cross. It truly has been an honor to know you, and I look forward to many, many more conversations in the future. Thank you. Thanks, Michelle. You know, that last offering you asked of me, I now it's triggered off the Beatles song in my <laughs> head, all there is is love. <laughs> so, I hope that triggers off in the people who are listening. Very good. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, hopefully that stays with everybody for a very long time. Thank you again. Thanks for listening in on this episode of the Game Changers podcast. The next step is to hit the subscribe button to make sure you never miss an episode or any of our incredible guests. Thanks again. And we'll talk to you next time.